How you doing today? I'm Greg. Uh, if you're visiting here, I'm Greg Boyd, and I'm a teaching pastor here, also known as the Sermonator. <laughs> you like my shirt? <laughs> Somebody gave this to me uh, from the congregation here last, this last Christmas. The Sermonator. I'll be back. There you go. So we're in the series on evangelism, and I hope that it's uh, serving to free some of us from our evangel phobia uh, that I mentioned several weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, we started the series by talking about what the really good news is, and it really, really is good. It's not just bad news that we are supposed to call good. It really is good. Um, Jesus, Jesus, when he died on the cross, and see, a lot of people think that when he died on the cross, rose from the dead, he just created an avenue for certain individuals to be changed and, and saved, but everyone else and the rest of the world stays the same. But what we saw from 2 Corinthians 5 is that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, it changed everything. It changed everything. There is a new creation, a new creation. And uh, everything that stood between humanity and God was taken care of. Every obstacle, every sin, everything the enemy had us in, in bondage to, everything he could ever indict us with, it was destroyed, obliterated on the cross, praise God. And that's true of every human being. That's why God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sin against them. And he's given to us that message of reconciliation. That's our good news. And that is really good news. Would you agree with that? It's a good news. Amen. The good news is really, really good. And last week, uh, Seth talked about how we are called to be a royal priesthood. When we align our hearts with, with Christ, uh, we're given a job description, and it's to be a royal priesthood. Uh, and that is, as he said, the, the most wonderful, most rewarding, best job there is. It's also the most challenging job. Uh, but we are to be the mediators, conduits by which God's blessings come into this world. As we encourage people to be reconciled to God, accept the fact that you've been accepted and be reconciled to God. Uh, this, this, this morning, I want to talk about how everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a hungry heart. And I'll start by talking about ducks because the connection there is obvious, right? Um, so my son always had an easier time uh, bonding with animals than he did with humans. And so uh, he always wanted animals, and we tried to facilitate that as much as possible. Uh, at one point, he wanted some ducks. And uh, so we got him some ducks. Aren't they cute? Look at little things. Quack, quack, quack. Cute little ducks. We've had names for them. I forget what they are now. But um, yeah, they're cute. But they have the worst smelling poop of any animal that God created. It's, it's terrible. I wouldn't recommend anyone trying to raise ducks. It's hard. One night I had to run out there because they're quacking. And, and there's a raccoon trying to get them. So I had to scare off this raccoon. It's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a full-time job. Anyways, uh, here's what was really interesting about these ducks. They, for some reason, really bonded to Shelly, my wife. Uh, they thought Shelly was their mother. And they'd follow her wherever she went. Now, I, I've read on this, and it's called imprinting. You've heard about this? It, imprinting. A lot of mammals, they uh, really, right, right out of the womb, they imprint on, on, uh, on something. They have an instinct to uh, attach to, to follow, and depend on their mother. But they don't know what their mother looks like, and so they end up just imprinting on whatever it is that they think is going to meet their needs. Uh, they have that instinct. So Shelly, when she, she'd walk around, these, these four ducks would just follow her everywhere. And if she zigzagged, they'd follow her, you know, right on her heels. If she tried try to run away, they would like, wah, 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 wait up for us, wait up for us, you know. And, 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 and if she stopped, they'd, they'd stand at attention and just look at her. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, and, and if she went in circles, they'd follow her in circles. I mean, it was just, it was, it was just hilarious. They, have an, they were born with this imprinting instinct. They imprinted on her. 
And scientists say that that's, that, that's where the, the animal first gets its identity. It, 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 its identity is, I am the duck that follows Shelley. <laughs> that's part of its very identity. And that's why the bond is, is so strong. Now, human beings are also born with an instinct to imprint. Uh, but it, we're born to follow someone, born to get our identity from someone, uh, born to look to someone, something, to fill our innermost needs, our physical needs as well. But uh, our needs go way beyond that of a duck. Uh, we have a need to feel like life is worth living, like our, we're important, like we've got some significance and some purpose, and that we're loved. And, and that's an that's a, a internal drive of ours, and we imprint. And it's a beautiful thing. God created that, gave it to us, because that, that, that is our homing device to drive us to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because in the end, God is the only one that can meet the deepest needs of our heart. The need for worth and significance, to feel loved and have a purpose. No human being can satisfy that. So that homing device is a good thing. It's there to drive us to Jesus Christ. Now the trouble is that we're born into a world of lies. A world that is yet under the deceiver, Satan. The one, it says in Revelation, he deceives all the inhabitants of the earth. It's a world of deception. And so what happens invariably is right from the get-go... We are given false things to imprint to. The world tells us in a million different ways to imprint with that, to get our life from this, to get our identity from that, to follow this, uh, to try to find purpose in this, that, and the other thing. So, for example, if you're an American, um, you probably at some point in, were imprinted with money. Because the dominant message of our culture is that money's the thing that you can depend on. Money's the thing that can make you feel secure. It can give you a purpose. It can, it, it can give you an identity. And so people spend, they, if, if you get imprinted on that, you'll spend your life chasing that dollar. Just chasing the dollar, thinking that if only you get enough money, if only you uh, can accumulate a big enough bank account, well, then you're going to feel good and your life's going to be worth living and you're going to be happy and so on and so on and so on. But people can imprint to other things as well. People imprint on, on power. Oh, if only I can get enough power, well, then my life will be worth living, blah, blah, blah. Or they imprint on pleasure, and they're always seeking more kinds of experiences. Uh, they chase that around. And, and, and all the while they're thinking, if I just have enough of it, well, then I'll be full, and I'll be happy, and I'll be content, and life will be worth living. And all the while, what, what, what we're really doing is we're asking, will you be my mommy? Will you be my mommy? Uh, will you meet my needs? Some people imprint on religion. I just feel special before God and and not like those other sinners. Well, then then life will be worth worth living. Or some people chase after fame. Um, And and we're saying to fame or to power or to money or to pleasure, will you be my mommy? Will you meet my needs? Uh, We've imprinted on false gods is what's happened. But until we learn otherwise, we just keep on chasing those. We just don't know any better. They never work, not in the long run. They never work. They never fully satisfy the hunger that's in our heart. They can't, because the hunger that's in our heart is there to drive us to something that's way beyond this world. Our, our need for significance and worth and love and fullness of life, all of that is something that the world can't give and the world can never take away. But if we don't know that, we just keep on chasing after stuff. False mommies. We're all chasing after false mommies. Uh, and it never works. Any more than it would work for my wife, Shelly, to try to be a mother duck. She's good at a lot of things. But being a duck, she ain't, you know. My wife is not a duck. Lock that in. That's the message for this morning. She would eventually disappoint these ducks. She can't do what a mother duck's supposed to do, whatever a mother duck is supposed to do. Uh, But it's the same thing with our false mommies, with our false gods. They never can fully satisfy. So they leave us empty. They leave us 
uh, sometimes frustrated, sometimes angry, sometimes very, very tired because we just keep on chasing. Now, the song that best captures this was written by the boss. Who here knows who the boss is? You got it. Bruce Springsteen. He wrote a song on this. It's an odd song because it's, it's got, I give it a 10 in terms of danceability. Everybody's got a, it, you can, it just moves. It's, it's like, you think it's a celebrating song, but it's so depressing. It's really weird. So here's what it says. Got a wife and kids in Baltimore, Jack. I went out for a ride and I never went back. Like a river that don't know where it's flowing. I took a wrong turn and I just kept going. Because everybody's got a, sing with me. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Louder. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Let's nail it. Lay down your money and you play your part. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Yes. It should be a worship song. Everybody. It's true. So here's this guy. He had a hungry heart and he thought his wife and kids were going to fill that need. Guess what? It didn't. So he's hungry. And he's out driving around one day and he takes a wrong turn. He just keeps on going. Like a river that doesn't know where it's flowing. He just keeps on going because he's got a hungry heart. He's driven. And the next stanza has him going to Kingstown. Met a girl down in Kingstown, whatever it goes. And then uh, they had a love, but they had to rip it apart. And now he's back in Kingstown again. He's looking. He apparently uh, imprinted on relationship. Some people do that. And they burn through relationship after relationship, thinking that the next one's going to fulfill him. And it never does. Because human beings can't fill that hole. Everyone's got a hungry heart. Uh, evangelism is, uh, means that we're bearers of good news. right? We're bearers of good news. And we've got good news to bear on this. Because part of the good news, the central part of the good news, is that uh, you don't have to be walking around with a hungry heart. Amen? You don't have to be chasing after stuff. You can get out of that bondage because there is one who can meet that need. In fact, that's why we have that hungry heart. There is one who can satisfy our heart. There's one who can fill our soul. One who can make our life worth living, can give us a purpose. The one that we're supposed to be getting our identity from. Uh, and and it, all that is found in the love of God that's revealed on the cross in Jesus Christ. And, he, and, and part of the good news is that he can give you a joy that's beyond anything this world can give and a peace that passes all understanding and a love that's beyond all comprehension. That is good news. Amen? You don't have to walk around with a hungry heart. Amen? But see, here's the thing. To be a bearer of good news, to be a bearer of good news is not just to be a speaker of good news. It is to be one who embodies the good news. We manifest that. The Apostle Paul says that our life is to be a living epistle, a living advertisement of the kingdom. So the good news, and I mentioned this two weeks ago, first point I want us to see is that the good news has got to be good for us if we think we're ever going to share it with somebody else. If it's not, we want to share it because it's good, but that means we've got to be on the inside of that goodness. So the most important question when it comes to evangelism, but when it comes to anything in the kingdom, really, is, is this. Are we imprinting on Jesus? Uh, are, are we making Jesus our mommy? Are, are we going to Jesus to get our innermost needs met? Are we getting filled up on a regular basis out of our relationship with Christ? Because everything in the kingdom runs on that. We're to be living life out of a fullness, not trying to get full by what we do, but we are full for free by grace through Jesus. We have a full heart, and now everything we do is to be an outflowing of that. And so the first, uh, here's the first of four principles I'm going to share this morning. And if you've got a pen, I'd write these down. Uh, important stuff here. First one is this. Regularly have your hungry heart filled with the love of God that was revealed on Calvary. Regularly be going to Christ to get your heart filled. Time, have times in your week where you just sit and let God love you. 
This isn't even the time to do intercessory prayer and all of that. No, this is the time to just you be you let, and let, let God love you as you are. This isn't the time to make all sorts of promises about how, how better you're going to be tomorrow. As you are, just let him love you. Let him pour that love on you. Because that is what your soul was made to. That's the air you were made to breathe. That's the water you were meant to drink. That's, that's our life. That's our life. And so just let God just love on you in ways that you can experience. You can drink that in. Now, if you have trouble having a relationship uh, with God where you actually experience that, and I get that, some people do, uh, you might want to just check out this book I wrote a number of years ago called Seeing is Believing. A lot of folks have found that that helps them have an experience, experiential relationship with Christ. So you don't just feel like you're talking to the wall or something. Uh, let him love you. Everything runs on that. What happens is that when our, to, the, to the degree that our heart is full, we will notice other people's empty heart. See, if you're walking around with an empty heart, well, then you're not going to notice anyone else's empty heart because you're empty. And you're trying to get yourself full. But if you're getting full for free by grace through Jesus, you'll start to notice other people's empty hearts. And that creates in you a longing to, to have them experience what you experience. Uh, or I could put it like this. If you are regularly imprinting on the true source of life, you'll start to notice all the false sources of life that people imprint on. And it creates in you a longing, a, a desire to help them. It's like helping somebody who's lost get directions. Uh, you want to offer that to them. And that is the motivation for evangelism. It should come out of a fullness of our heart and a desire to help people. Now, I want to illustrate what this might look like by turning to the book of Acts. Um, it's an episode that deals with Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he's discussing the gospel with some Athenians. Here's what it says, Acts 17. While Paul was waiting for these other disciples in Athens... He was deeply distressed to see the city was full of idols. Okay, note that. These idols bothered him. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. Now Paul is here talking about those idols that distressed him. But he says, I see that you're extremely religious. Pays him a compliment. Then he says this. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. He goes on to say, for from one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of their places where they should live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and possibly find him. So God is involved in the rising fall of all nations. But his purpose is to create a hunger in people, to get people to grope for him, to search for him and possibly find him. For every human being, uh, throughout all creation, he's been doing that. Uh, though indeed he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. All right. So here is, is Paul. He's in Athens. He is distressed, bothered by these idols. A first century Orthodox Jew, they hated idolatry. Statues to gods and stuff. It was repulsive to them. And Athens was full of these things. Um, it'd be a little bit like if I was preaching the gospel over in the red light district of Amsterdam. And I'm told what that's like. I've never been there. But, but suppose I'm talking to some folks about the gospel there, and, and they say they have like this block upon block of, of, of buildings with glass 
walls and there's naked women dancing behind them. And they're doing it as advertisement, trying to get guys to come in uh, for a prostitute. Now, if I'm preaching the gospel in that context, that would be distressing. <laughs> It'd be really distracting as well. But, but um, no, I, I, part of me would want to scream out, this is so wrong. But see, if I want to talk to these people and this is where these people are, um, I got to let that slide. Right? I, I got to meet them on their terms, not have them meet me on my terms. And the same thing with, with Paul. He would want to scream at this idolatry. This is so vile and so bad. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Instead, what he does is he looks, he sees the hunger behind the idolatry. Doesn't rail at him. He sees the hunger behind it. He even compliments them. As, as grieved as he is by the sin of that idolatry, he says, gosh, you guys are really religious. I see that in every way. You're just extremely religious. He's affirming the hunger that's behind, that's driving the idolatry. And he knows that God is working in their heart because God works in everyone's heart, trying to fan that flame. He knows that. And this is actually an expression of that hungry heart. And so rather than rail at it, he compliments them. So it leads to my second principle. Uh, uh, look past whatever sin you see to see the hunger that's driving it. Look past whatever sin you see to see the hunger that is driving it. Now, here's the thing. If you come out of a religious environment, you've been trained to see the sin. That's, that's just what you do. Uh, yeah, you, you notice that, and you're supposed to point that out. And so if you come out of an environment like this, this will, this will be somewhat challenging, and, and you'll have to work at it. But see, here's the thing. If a Pharisee was watching Paul, preaching with these uh, Athenians, um, or any other religious uptight person, they would have said, what a compromiser. Look, at, he's talking to these idolaters, and he's not even pointing out their idolatry. Why, he's actually complimenting them. What kind of a preacher is this? He's not cracking down on sin the way you're supposed to crack down on sin. Glory to God. They judge Jesus the same way, right? What kind of a Messiah is this? He's, he's hanging out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, and he's not even railing at them. He's going to parties with them. What kind of a... Well, he, he's weak on sin. He's not cracking down. He's a compromiser. He's a liberal. <laughs> that's... And so what it tells us is this. If, if we're preaching the good news the way Paul and Jesus preached it, we're going to be judged by the Pharisees. And if you're judged by the Pharisees, don't get bothered by that. It's good news. It means you're doing something right. All right? That's, that's good news. See, the, 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 the proclamation that God is not holding anyone's sin against them, that we read, talked about two weeks ago, that's not good news to them. Part of religion is you're trained to notice the sin and you feed off the sin. You're a parasite. You judge. And, and so you, you ascribe worth to yourself by contrasting yourself with others. Because you're holier than everybody else, and you got all the right beliefs, and they have the wrong beliefs, and blah blah blah. So you're trained to notice that stuff. Uh, now, when someone comes along and says, "Guess what? Sin's been taken off the table as an issue to deal with two thousand years ago," that's not good news to them because they feed off of that sin, right? That's what they want, and they don't like anyone who preaches that. So they will judge, and don't let that judgment bother you. It's good news, and you're doing something right. Now, for some folks listening to this message in this building and on podcast, I am quite sure that. For some of us, the Pharisees in our head. You got it. The lunatic is in my head. The lunatic is in my head. Yeah, Pink Floyd got some things right. Because um, here's the thing: if you were in that religious system, you get out, and and uh, you got you're trained as an accuser, so you've got an accuser brain, and it takes a while to debug that brain, to heal that brain. It's a damaged brain. You've been trained to notice all the stuff. As though, as though that was the issue, even though it was put to death 2,000 years ago. 
I have talked to dozens and dozens of people who have shared with me something like this. When they hang out and befriend certain kinds of folks, the ones that they were trained to judge, because you don't judge every sin, you don't judge your own sin, you judge just the ones that you're conditioned to judge. You make those exceptional sins. But when they hang out with those kind of people that they've been trained to not love for free, uh, they've been trained to, they need to point out their sin, they feel guilty. If I go to that party and I don't point out that I disagree with their lifestyle, I feel guilty. Like they're, they're just trained to be the moral police of the world. Uh, and so if you're in that category, um, try this. When that little accuser in your head starts talking to you like that, just remember that you have brain damage. <laughs> Don't trust that thing. It's damaged. It's been, it's been damaged by religion. Religion causes brain damage. Somebody tweet that. And my wife is not a duck. <laughs> this means that I've got some religion in my head. Um, no, if you have it, just remember that, that, that voice should have no credibility to you because uh, you've got a damaged brain. It, it won't always be like that. You'll, you'll get healed. But right now, just don't listen to it. In fact, let that be, if you hear that little accuser voice, let that be good news to you because it means you're doing something right. All right? Uh, if we're preaching the gospel that Paul preached and that Jesus manifested, we will be judged the way that they were judged. So that is good news. All right. There's one uh, another thing I want us to notice about Paul's interaction with these guys. But to set this up, I want us to listen to this very interesting, important video. All right, two minutes. Look, here's why this is hard. I'll be real honest here. I hear your words; they bore me, annoy me enrage me, hurt me, scare me, sadden me, cause me discomfort, cause me confusion. I can't connect to you. And seriously, you won't stop talking. I'm late and I'm bored, but I just can't cut you off. What am I learning? That you're annoying, self-absorbed, crazy, needy, demanding, angry. You are Hopeless. Okay? Okay. Listen to you? Sure. If you need that to feel God's love, I can do that. But learn? Um, does that mean I believe in what you're saying, even if it goes against my own beliefs? I mean, how can I give value to your words and learn from them if some of them are fundamentally not true? Wait. Jesus was the ultimate example of listening and learning. I mean, the creator of the universe, the most high, came into our world like we all come into this world. Baby, blank page. God didn't need to enter into our experience like he did, but he did. And Jesus, knowing the truth, was able to listen and learn from us in a way that did not alter or threaten the truth he knew to be true, but rather deepened his connection with us so that the truth could be made known to us more deeply, so that we could build a stronger relationship with him, so we could trust him more, so we were compelled to listen and learn from him. The world already gives value to people's shouting. Our job? To give value to their whispers. 
The world already works to divide and separate and categorize by each minute different belief. Our job? To unite with any kingdom truth we find in another and cling to it. Jesus lives somewhere in their words. It's our job to find them. Can you relate to that at all? It's a, it's a, it's a powerful video, I think. I'm so well done. Sometimes listening can be really hard. Um, the person can be annoying, can be boring, long-winded, aggravating, confusing, all those things. And sometimes what a person might be saying just seems fundamentally wrong to you. There's a thousand things you could correct and argue with there. Um, but as that video stated, our job as kingdom people is to listen for the whispers, the whispers of the hungry heart, to, to be able to go past whatever things we think we could disagree with and, and to, to listen for that, that hungry heart. I love that phrase. Our, our job is to unite to any kingdom truth we can find and cling, cling to that. Our job is to find Jesus in those words because we know that God is working in this person's life. So we would be looking for, for evidence of that the way Paul did. In the passage that I read, uh, it says this. Paul says this at one point, verse 23. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, looked carefully, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. And what therefore you worship as unknown, this I'd like to proclaim to you. So Paul is grieved by these idols. They bug him as much as anything could bug a person. And yet he studied them. He went through the city and carefully looked at each one. Why? Because he wants to relate to the Athenians. He wants to get inside the world of the Athenians. And so he studies these objects carefully. That couldn't have been a pleasant experience for him. But he's trying to get on the inside of their world. Uh, and because he's, he's studying them, he finds one, one that he can have a little agreement with. It's the idol to an unknown God. And instead of arguing with the thousands of idols that he could argue with. This one's wrong. That one's wrong. That one's wrong. That's false. That, that's a false God. That's a false God. Idol, idol, idol. He, instead of doing that, he doesn't say a word about any of that. He instead focuses entirely on the one that he has a connection to. And he says, can I talk to you about this one? I don't want to talk to you about all the other ones. Uh, I want to talk to you about this one. Because see, here he sees an opening. This is the idol that best expresses their hungry heart. They admit they don't know everything. They admit that their system is incomplete. This is the idol that best expresses that God is at work in their life. He's fanning the hunger that is there. Uh, they're acknowledging that they, there may be a God out there that they don't know about. They're acknowledging that, that their system's not complete, that their, that their gods don't entirely satisfy. And so Paul sees in this something he can build on. At least in the third principle I want to share this morning, and it's this. Listen carefully and learn about the life and worldview of the other person looking for points you can connect with. Listen carefully. So... Too often, Christians think that evangelism is about just speaking and teaching. We do the teaching. Why? Because we know the truth and you, you, you don't. We've got it all. You've got nothing. No. No, 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 no. It's more about listening uh, and, and learning than it is about telling and teaching. The truth is, unless you're willing to listen and learn, you don't earn the right to teach and to, to speak to someone else. And what the person is saying, you know, the person you feel called to begin to relate to, it may distress you. It may bug you. It, it, it may bother you in profound ways. There's a thousand things you could argue with. Um, but see, our call is to love people, and loving people means, means listening to them and learning from them and looking for uh, echoes of the hungry heart that is there. 
Think about it this way, okay? When you talk to Jesus, does Jesus listen to you? When you talk to Jesus, does Jesus listen to you? Of course he does. Is there anything in your life that he might disagree with? I rest my case. We're to love people the way Jesus loves us, right? And he doesn't go after everything that's wrong with us before he listens to us. Uh, so also, we're just to listen to people. thousand things you could argue with, but find the one thing you can build on, the one thing that best expresses the hunger that's there, that God's working in their life. And, and the thing is this. You may have nothing in common with another person, but you have, there's one thing that you know you have in common, and that is everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a hungry heart. And, um, um, and, and if you're coming into this, Having gotten full from Jesus, you're coming in with a fullness. But you know what it's like to have a hungry heart. And now you have something that you can offer them. You find a platform, something that expresses that hungry heart like Paul did. And, and you say, can, we, can I maybe share a word about this? And it's as natural as saying, hey, I got an apple. You look hungry. Would you like an apple? Uh, it's the most natural thing in the world. Which is the one final thing I want to say, and that's this. We're to listen and learn from people, not just as we, because we're waiting our turn to tell them about Jesus. Okay, go on. Okay, I'll get my turns here soon. Can't wait. I'm really going to blast them. No, we don't, we don't listen for the purpose of just waiting our turn. Uh, we are, our job is to listen because people are worth listening to. Our job is to listen because, because uh, every person we're talking to is, and, and, and hearing from is made in the image of God, right? Every person we're talking to, you know this about them, that they, Jesus thought they were worth dying for, which means they have unsurpassable worth. And our most fundamental job as, as, as followers of Jesus is to agree with God about that. This person has unsurpassable worth. And we ascribe worth to them. We're saying you're worth li- listening to when we listen to them and learn from them. Uh, we're to listen and learn from people because we're called to love people. To love people and love ascribes worth by listening and by learning. We don't do it as a means to an end. We do it as an end in and of itself. Uh, it leads to this, the fourth principle into this. And this is so important. Evangelism must be a byproduct of loving people, never ever the other way around. It's a byproduct of loving people, never the other way around. Um, our, our, our most fundamental call, listen to this now, our most fundamental call is not to evangelize. And if you're from certain backgrounds, that probably sounds really off. Because you thought that was the main purpose of life. Our, our cent- the center of our call, the bullseye, is not to evangelize. The center is to love people. It's to love people. And see, if you're loving somebody, and you come into this, and you know the source of life, and you've got, you're full, and they're hungry, well then, there will come a point where it'll be perfectly natural for you to say, uh, tell them how you got full. That, that's all it amounts to, tell them how you got full. It'll be perfectly natural. But if you quote-unquote, love them in order to evangelize them. If the bullseye is evangelism and loving is just a means to an end, well, now you've just taken a person who has unsurpassable worth and you've turned them into an agenda. Um, and, and that is not only a denial of our fundamental call to love people, um, it, it is insulting to their worth. You're ascribing less worth to them than they actually have. And people can usually smell that a mile away, and it's very offensive. It's like this. Uh, early on in the life of Woodland Church, there was this young guy. And he was really friendly to me and really nice and uh, always was giving compliments and inquiring about how life's going and seemed to really care about me. Uh, he had a lot of theological questions, and so we'd talk some theology now and then. At one point, he invited me to go out for some coffee. And, and I thought, since he's friendly and, and seems like he's got a lot of theological uh, inquisitiveness, uh, yeah, let's do that. So we went out for coffee. Um, we didn't talk about theology at all. 
Uh, the whole time was spent with him trying to sell me this juice as part of a pyramid system. You know, you know those pyramid systems where you, know, you, you recruit five people under you, and they recruit five people, and they recruit five people, and they recruit five people. And you, you get kickbacks all the way down, you know, and, uh, and it, whatever. And so he, he, his idea was that since I am, uh, people listen to me, oh, they'll listen to me if I sell them juice. And uh, uh, then that would not only make me some money, but they'll be making money because they'll get recruit people to sell the juice. And if everyone agrees to, this was his big sales pitch, if everyone agrees to give a certain, you know, uh, to tithe on this, well, then the church would get wealthy. The whole church, you could build a building with this. Wow, what a great plan. And the guy who benefits the most is him, of course. Uh, that felt yucky to me. It was like, because now it seemed like all that friendliness, all that niceness, all those inquiries, all that, that was just a, a prop to get me here. Um, and it turned out that was true because as soon as I said no, he disappeared from the church. I went on to another church to try to get that pastor to sell his juice. Um, folks, uh, that's how it feels. If, 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 if you're just pretending to love in order to sell them Jesus, it's going to feel yucky. And it should feel yucky because that's wrong. It's fundamentally wrong. Our job is to love people, genuinely love them as an end in and of itself. The bullseye isn't evangelism. The bullseye is love. And evangelism flows naturally out of that. If you're aware that you're full and, and they have an empty heart. In fact, folks, if you're full and, 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 and they're empty, then not sharing how you got full is not loving. Think about that. If you've got a refrigerator full of food, the people next door are starving, and you're not going to share any of it, are you loving them? Love naturally says, oh, here, here's how I got full. Maybe you want to try this. Um, a, I'll close with this. There's a story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 7. There's these four lepers in Israel. And Israel is going through this terrible famine. And these lepers say, say to themselves, look, if we stick around here, we're going to starve to death. Uh, we could go to the uh, Arminians. Uh, they were the enemies of Israel, but they've got food. The famine hasn't hit over there. And so they'll probably kill us, but there's a chance we might get some food. So they go, they leave Israel and go to uh, uh, the Arameans. As they're approaching the city, um, God causes this, there to be this like thunder, so that the people in the city think that they're being invaded by Egypt and some other armies. They, they, they think they're being attacked, so they all flee from the city. So these four lepers come to the city and it's empty, and the folks left all this money and all this food behind. So these guys are cashing in. And they are stuffing themselves, and they're starting to hide some of the wealth for themselves and all of this. But then at some point, they come to their, uh, their senses. And here's what it says. Verse 9. They then said, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. Think about that for a second. It's wrong to keep good news to yourself. If you've got stuff that other people are starving for... Um, it's natural to say, hey, uh, I, I maybe can help on that. And so, folks, our, make the bullseye love. Make the bullseye love. And love just wants to help any way you can. That's an end in and of itself. Even if nothing else comes out of that, that's an end in and of itself. But if we're aware that we are bearers of good news and they have a hungry heart, at some point it becomes just natural to say, you know what, I, I got some good news. I know where there's a whole lot of food. There's an eternal feast going on. And you can get in on this, praise God. And that's what sharing is all about. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Uh, close in prayer. And, and as I do, I want to invite anybody who is here. Hey, listen, if you've got a hungry heart and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, um, 
I want to invite you to come forward after the service. So some folks up here would, will just love to share with you what that's about. Or if you have any need that could use some prayer, um, don't, take, don't, don't carry that burden on your own. Share it with these folks, and, uh, and they'd love to pray with you. And just know that everything you share up there goes to the grave, right? Uh, they are sworn to keep confidence on that. So, Father, as we leave this place, I pray, Lord, that, first of all, you remind us to always be getting our life and our worth and our fullness and our significance from you and from you alone, because you alone can fill our hearts. And, and then, Lord, as we go out into a very hungry world, uh, direct our steps, guide our steps, uh, and, and put us in positions where we can naturally share uh, the fullness that we have. Um, thank you, God, for filling us. Thank you for making the good news really good. Thank you, God, for using us to spread your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Go ahead, overflow in the world.